engine racing, it's time to recap it. And who better to do it than Michael Newmagic? Two bros slash pros who cover the highs and lows of racing around the globe on every one of their shows. Real fans look forward to these guys and their last thoughts if they know they're not talking out of their royal ascot. What they say makes sense. So ladies and gents, sit back and relax as Blinkers Off presents The Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show, tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show, you can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up everybody, I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is The Magic Mike Show, episode 385, Mr. Samich. <sighs> Free tequila huzzah! Congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche, to Mike Samich, and everybody else who bet Avs minus one and a half in the series. It uh, got a little tight there for you at the end there, my friend, but uh, but you uh, you win the bet. Congratulations. First shot out of the new bottle of Casamigos that I sent you the money this morning and you already bought it. So uh, it's five o'clock somewhere. That's the island life. Actually, it is five o'clock for you. I'm sorry. Five o'clock right here, actually. No, it was, um, it was good because we had to go to the liquor store anyway. Because I bought a scratch-off lotto ticket for my daughter for the first time. And so she won 15 bucks on a $10 ticket. So she got $15 bucks. So we all walked over to the liquor store. took a picture of the Casa Amigos tequila there. It was beautiful, man. It was, it was wonderful. And then she went and bought a, a mermaid with her $15. Uh, I love that you said dollar bucks. I caught that reference. I understood that reference. Uh, Katie Page in the chat. Yeah, if you didn't know, I'm wearing my Colorado Avalanche celebratory gear. Darren Helm, my favorite uh, hockey player for the last... Uh, 15, 16 years. Mike's got his <laughs> celebrate. Yeah, there you go. It's Casa Amigos, one word. C A S Amigos. Uh, yeah. Oh, don't worry, Daryl. There's a there's a delay. That's okay. We got you. We're doing it for the podcast <laughs> listeners too. So don't forget <laughs> we got that. But yeah, I've got my Darren Helm jersey on. Very happy for him getting his second Stanley Cup. Um, he's close to retiring. What's crazy, Mike? Uh, you wouldn't know this. Why would you? But in 2008, when they won the Red Wings, won their last Stanley Cup. He was a rookie and he played in like four or five games in the NHL. He was on the taxi squad for the playoffs, and they had an injury, and he's a fast guy, and he's great with penalty kills and face-offs. And they went, oh, you're probably going to be good in the playoffs. And that's how he got stuck. Like, he, he made his name in the playoffs as a rookie, won the Stanley Cup, and was like, this is great. And then he went 15, 14 years without winning it again. He finally did. So Darren Helm did it, and then Eric Johnson, my fellow co-owner of Lazy Daisy, also getting the win. So congrats to them both. I mean, I was about to go into my Eric Johnson story before you Sorry. stole my thunder there. So I, I also co-owner. I, I was, uh, I, I was. Uh, he's part of Slam Dunk Racing, and so I owned a couple of horses with him in Slam Dunk. I got to meet him in the winner's circle, and I, I freaked out a little bit. If you don't know, Eric Johnson was the number one overall pick for the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis Blues, and so I, I watched him. Then he got traded for Shattenkirk a little later, uh, and so kind of to Colorado. So it was great to see Eric Johnson be able to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, he's, he's kind of. He, it was one of those guys where he came in with so much hype and he almost couldn't live up to it. And then as he's gotten better, it's, he's gone through his career, he's gotten better and better and better. And there's an amazing interview with him last night where he said, I literally almost retired last summer. I thought I was going to. I decided to come back for this season. And now, eight months later, I'm skating Stanley Cup around the rink. Like, absolutely phenomenal. And you got to love they dropped it, too. So there's like a big old dent in the Stanley Cup last night, which was hilarious. You know, that's not the first time that's ever happened. It's just... Like, don't do it publicly on TV when you just got it. It's like what's the famous story? He got stuck at the bottom of a pool once because it was upside down. Yeah. So, I mean, that shit happens. Just don't don't let it get – don't get caught with it. Yeah, just don't, get, just don't get caught. That's all it is. Don't do it five minutes into your Stanley Cup during your team picture where literally 150 cameras are on you at that one moment. 
<laughs> a general rule of advice from the Magic Mike show. Don't get caught. That's our advice yeah. to you. you uh, Mike, uh, we are going to be looking at a little no, different show yet. today. Yeah, still Rich Strike <laughs> did not cross the Belmont finish line yet Saturday. <laughs> um, uh, we are going to be doing a different show today. Uh, Gulfstream Park on Thursday has mandatory payouts because it's the end of the month. Uh, they're going to do mandatory payouts of the Rainbow Pick 6, the Late Pick 5, and the Super High 5. And we like one of those sequences. We like the Late uh, uh, Pick 5. So we're going to preview that a little bit differently, kind of like the horses who we like, where we think you should go deep if you want to play that. So, uh, Mike, why do you think this was a, a good recommendation for this style for this show? Well, first off, first off, the takeout is lower for the pick five than the pick six. You're going to get a very, very big pool. The fact that you have a mandatory pick six that starts the race before means everyone who handicapped it and gets knocked out, fire right back into that pick five. So you've got a nicer, lower takeout pick five with, I wouldn't say like, this This to me is a press sequence where I'm going to probably have a five and a $10 ticket here because these fields aren't huge, but they're competitive. So if you're right, you can get paid. And there's a couple horses I like who are not the favorite, who I think are prices. There's a couple prices I like specifically in some of the maiden special weight races, which we'll talk about a little bit. And it's a lot of interesting races because you're not going to have very many six to five favorites here. This is going to be a sequence where if you can string together three to one, four to one shots, you're going to get paid in it because that's most likely what you're going to see from a lot of these winners. And if we can pop one 15 to one shot, all of a sudden it's just stacks. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's get into it. The late pick five at Gulfstream Park on Thursday, June 30th. And then after that, Mike's got a couple of bonus staple ups for us. So stay tuned to this one. Let's get into it, buddy. Riders up. All right, Mike, before we get into it, go ahead. I was saying, don't forget, if you were playing on Thursday, you've got to uh, head over to BetPTC and enter code DUDES for a $200 sign-up bonus after you bet your first $750 and get rebates for playing the pick six at, uh, at Gulfstream, the pick five at Gulfstream, as well as the pick six carryover. It's actually very good rebates for the pick six carryover at Belmont as well. So make sure you head over to BetPTC.com, sign up for a promo code DUDES. Uh, but quick uh, peek behind the curtain. I messaged Mike just to make sure he remembered to do the read and then immediately stepped over him when we came out of that. So uh, that's how things go on the Magic Mike show. Make sure you sign up for BetPTC.com <laughs> if you haven't yet using promo code DUDES. The first leg of the late pick five at Gulfstream Park Thursday, June 30th. This is race four. We've got seven fillies and mares, four and up. Going six furlongs on the dirt. Non-winners of three lifetime in for 62.50. This is the bottom of the barrel for this circuit, Mike. Hell of a way to start the sequence. Uh, this is a classic Gulfstream sequence, man. I mean, this is you're just you got to use all your handicapping tools to be able to get through this puppy. We've got maidens, we've got synthetic sprints, we've got the low level claimers, we've got everything you could ever not want in a single <laughs> sequence. Um, and this one kicks off with a race that I thought was a single or a spread race. Like this is to me, I, I have an opinion in here. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see a pretty good pace here. The four wants to go, the one wants to go. Um, it, to me, this sets up really, really well for the five horse. And so I, I'm probably gonna look at ever three as a single for me in press tickets. Um, I, the seven is the horse who's most likely to go off as a favorite. The numbers fit really well, but this horse has only run once on dirt. That was at a mile at Santa Anita. This is the type of horse that I try and fade. So I, I'm, I'm gonna try and beat the seven. I, I think the five makes a ton of sense here, especially with the setup that I expect the five to get. It's funny looking at how a horse makes it from San Diego to the Gulfstream by way of claiming. But, uh, yeah, that's how it happened for the 7 Mongolian Mission. I, I went a little differently for me. I, I almost wondered if it would be worth uh, 
uh, trying to single the four Sweet Penelope just from a pace perspective as it, or time form really pace rating of 105. The question is, can the horse handle the distance? Because the horse likes to go really fast early, and then other than, you know, at Tampa going five and a half, kind of just likes to throw in the towel. So uh, we're going six. Horses, two wins, we're both at five and a half. Um, I don't know. Is there enough of a pace advantage at this low of a level, Mike? Because the horse has also never been this far down. Uh, no. And I think the main reason is actually the one. I don't think the one is as slow as time form is giving it. And I would expect that Kenya's son is going to send. If you look at that last race, was forced four wide around the turn in a six-horse field, drew the five post, was two to one in that spot, so got bet down pretty good, just never was able to get to the front. If you take that race out and you go back to any of the other races, we're looking at, I mean, there's a 21 and four opening quarter on the page here, right? Where the horse ran second at this level. Hector Barrios is an aggressive jockey. He's going to try and hold the rail here. And the fact, like, even if the four gets loose, I kind of like the one a little bit if it, from a second horse perspective, because if we can go back to that race two back, it's good enough to win this. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if the one sits right behind the four and the four just stops. You mentioned the, the distance issue. Anything over five and a half seems like a problem for the four horse, and we're going six. So that horse is going to drop down a lawn chair in the middle of the stretch and just sit down on it versus trying to even cross the finish line. So for me, like, I think you got cheap speed in the four. I think the one's going to get a little overlooked. The seven's going to get bet because of the numbers on the page, but none of them are on dirt. And so you're kind of like, eh, what, do you, what do you do with a seven? To me, that the five and the one are the two horses that make the most sense. Uh, should people go uh, super deep here? Is this a, a possible all leg, or should you just try and you know take a stand, hold your nose, and move on? I, in my ladder tickets, I, this is a possible all leg for me because, like, I. I First off, it depends how the betting goes. Like, if, if the seven gets bet down to six to five, I'll probably chuck the seven and not play all. I'll just let the seven beat me if that's the case. Because if I don't want that short of a price on the seven, I don't think he wins that often. I would rather just say, okay, I'm going to play uh, most likely the one, three, five and try and get through here, right? Um, but if, if you get a three to one, if that holds and everyone else is about the same price, the all button seems a little more attractive to me. Uh, just like in the third leg of this sequence, different scenario conditions-wise, but you have six of the seven runners that are between three to one and six to one odds. So uh, I'm with Mike. This feels like a good spot to maybe go all if you don't have a, a strong opinion here. The second leg of the late pick five. This is race five on Thursday, June 30th at Gulfstream, and we're going to stay on the dirt here. We've got eight maiden fillies, three and four, going five and a half furlongs here. Uh, straight maidens, there are protected here. You've got three first-timers, including the three-to-one second choice, the four, Tenacious Val. Uh, you've got a five-to-two favorite who's 0 for 5, and she's only finished second once. So how do you structure it from a, from a late pick five perspective here? This is the worst favorite in the pick six sequence or the late pick five sequence. I don't like this eight at all. And this eight is going to take a ton of money. This, this is your most likely heaviest favorite, most single horse. And I, I have the least interest in this favorite. Um, first off, breaking from the eight post, not great. Secondly... This horse doesn't pass anything. Like literally, it's passed one horse in five races. That was a five and a half its debut to go from sixth, from seventh to sixth. So we have a passing horses issue problem, which means we need to make the lead. We have a we can't make the lead problem because of the inside horse who is significantly faster than the outside horse. So if, if the one breaks at all, I hate the eight. And so I, I'm going to leave the eight off of everything here. I think the one's really interesting. Note the ownership. Safi owns this horse. Entered it in an optional claimer and now is bumping it up to Maiden Special Weight off the layoff and calls Zayas, who is his top jockey, to ride the horse, breaking with speed from the rail first off the layoff. I, the one is is very, very dangerous in here. And then from a price perspective, 
Give me a little piece of Sadie's Amendment. I'm going to talk about sires a little bit later here, but Constitution is the sire on Sadie's Amendment. Constitution clicks off at 18% first-time sire. That's that's wild. On top of that, Joseph Cantonese, 22%, two for nine, with a $7.29 ROI, and he and Panici together, $4.14 ROI at Gulfstream Park. You're getting 15-to-1 on this horse, who is a very good sire, a good first-out trainer, and a jockey-trainer combination. His percentages are significantly higher than either of them are alone. I, I wouldn't be shocked if the seven's a runner. Well, and the, the dam, uh, Nishinda, was a grade three winner um, sprinting at Woodbine, too. I think back then it was a long time ago. I think back then it was still dirt. So um, a talented horse, a talented pedigree. Interesting that a New York bred debuts in Florida in June. It's not exactly something you see, but they paid a lot of money for her. And uh, my one concern, but you're getting 15 to 1, so not enough for me to not use her in my ticket. Mike, five and a half seemed too short for a, a, a daughter of Constitution, but uh, he clicks off at extremely high percentages, well above average for dirt sprints, for debuting three-year-old horses. Every single metric, Constitution is a rock-solid sire. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. And, he, and you mentioned he is dependable, which is one of those things. A lot of these sires, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, struggle at certain things or an exceptional at thir- certain things. Constitution is just really damn good. He, he has just produced horses at every level, but specifically that, you know, anytime you're 18% for first out, I mean, that's wild. That's ridiculous. I mean, the, one in every five of your first time starters are winning. That's crazy. Like, especially when you have a sample size, it's over 150 horses. It's just, it's very, very, very good. You have to respect any horse that's out of constitution. And we talk about that. And I also want to go right to the inside here. McLean's music, not exactly a slouch, 15% with any first time starter. And this is an interesting horse to me because look, Angel Rodriguez, 0 for 20. I get it, but he is 13% on the year. So it's still a pretty good trainer, 12% first out. There's two sneaky workouts on this page. June 16th, 47 Flat for four furlongs, two of 12. So it doesn't get the bullet, but 47 flats very fast. And then four back out of the gate, 36 flat. Uh, so you you have two workouts that are sneaky good for a, a, a trainer that doesn't always ship here with a jockey that's a little more unknown, but also a bug. So you're saving 10 pounds with a horse that clearly has speed. Again, a price there at six to one. Like I, To me, the six and the seven are pretty interesting first-time starters. I liked all three of the first-time stars. I thought if you wanted to chuck everybody with experience and just go with the newbies, because I think uh, you outlined the six and the seven well. The four, you're not going to get anywhere close to the price that the six and seven are, but Ralph Nix is very solid with first-time stars. Gets Edwin Gonzalez, who's a solid jockey, especially now that the championship meet is over. Uh, but I looked at the breeding for these horses, and what stood out to me with this horse uh, Tenacious Val has two older siblings who have both raced. They both won their debuts sprinting on the dirt at Gulfstream Park, which makes sense. Stonehedge is a big breeder down in Florida. They keep their horses close by. But the pedigree says the horse should love running dirt sprinting Gulfstream Park first time out. So, uh, again, the price won't be there, but I think the four, I think this is a horse you should really consider. Uh, I, I thought the four was usable. I, I, I like the one of the raced horses just because Safi's moving this horse off right. a horse that he owns and, and is breaking from the rail with speed. But the four, six, and seven all seem like they're live. This to me is a race where you or, or, uh, a race where you spread a little bit, but you chuck the eight to try and get some serious value. I'm with you. The race six is going to be the third leg of the late pick five at Gulfstream on Thursday, June 30th. And we've got another field of seven. Phillies and mares, all three years old, in for $40,000 tags. Interesting conditions on this one because they're not winners of three lifetime if they were older horses, but there are no restrictions for the three-year-olds. Things get a little wacky in here. Where are you going on top? Give me the three, man. Our Espado Loca. I mean, if we're in the tequila mood, this is a great name to follow up with. 
this is an interesting one because this this horse debuts at Tampa, taken off the turf, which again we've talked about how the synth to turf is an interesting comparison there, um, and ends up winning, gets a not a great buyer, runs a forty two buyer, um, then switches barns over to, to Rohan Crichton. That workout two back 35 out of a gate tells me that he's figured out how to put even more speed into this horse. 35% first time with trainer, 19% on synthetic. But to me, the key here is Vancouver. And we we're, we talk a lot about sires because it's a lot of younger horses. Have you ever looked up Vancouver's numbers? I'm looking now for the first time. Uh, 26% synthetic sprinting. 16 for 60 with 12 places. So 28 of 60 horses have either won or placed for Vancouver compared to, oh, you know, uh, dirt sprint, 17%, right? Turf sprint, 16%. For some reason, his progeny freaking love to sprint on synthetic. And, and when you have a horse that goes to a barn that I think is a clear barn upgrade, you get a jockey upgrade, you come back in this spot, you have a great workout. Now you're firing on the surface I think the horse wants the most. And you're getting four to one? Uh, sign me up for our Reposado Loca. Uh, all great points lining out the, the three horse. I don't hate it. Um, one horse that really caught my attention is the one, and I talked about the restrictions here. Every other horse in the field, this is they're looking for their second career win. The one's looking for career win number five, and it has 13 starts. So uh, the one horse, at least a horse that loves to win, is three for six on the synthetic at Gulfstream 2. You're getting six to one, which surprised me. Why is the price so low? This is an aggressive spot. I mean, that's the main reason, right? I mean, you look at the wins, 12-5 open. 12-5 or 12-5 open, 12-5 maiden claimer, 12-5 open. This is a $40,000 claimer. So you're, you're seeing a significant bump up in class. You can point back to the race where they, uh, three back where they went, where he got a 72 buyer and a 32, 35 uh, optional claimer and say, well, this is about the same class. And that's totally fair. You got five to one that day. The horse was almost able to get the job done. To me, this seems like a horse that has to wire the field. And so the question then is, can this horse wire the field? I have a couple concerns. So we've got other speed in here. And and specifically when you're facing better and you're going to face more pressure, that's where it starts to get a little bit concerning around it. I, I don't disagree with you on the one that that's possibly usable. I feel like you've got three or four horses that want to go here. So I actually like a couple of horses from off the pace because of that, especially because it's, uh, it's that. I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah, it's the five and a half distance today and not the flat five. I think that extra half furlong is going to matter for the one and the seven. Uh, it's, we'll see what happens with Safi Joseph with another horse in there, the seven that you're talking about. Uh, connect, a uh, pretty decent sire when it comes to synthetic so far. There's another connect horse we'll talk about in the last leg. Uh, but, uh, yeah, interesting how connect works on there. Any other horses worth noting here? You want to move on to the next one? Uh, four horse also by Vancouver. Uh, already yeah, sure. one, all already one sprinting on synthetic. And that last race is definitely good enough to put it in here. If you take out the two routes, we just talked about how Vancouver was better sprinting. Every single race, this horse has got better and better. I think this this is a, a reasonable level. Uh, and you get Miguel Vasquez up, who's one of the best jockeys once everybody leaves there. Um, so I, I like the the combination on the four. And then I like, I love, like, look, Safi's very good. We talked about Safi with Zayas before. This six horse makes a ton of sense to me as well. Went five and a half flat, optional 35 last time out. Ends up running fourth. But if you go and you watch the race, it just wasn't a great trip. Had a little trouble early was four wide around the turn, couldn't really get the momentum going. It just, it wasn't what you were looking for first off a layoff. Now we get Safi second off a layoff. Uh, we get Safi second off a layoff, back on, back on that synthetic, getting five and a half again. I think it could be all systems go here for the six boss lady. So I, I like the four, or, I'm sorry, the three the most, but to me the four and the six are the other ones that are interesting. If you want a speed, I would go with your one over the seven, 
but I'm probably not going to play either speed. Like I mentioned with the opener, six of the seven horses are between three to one and six to one on the morning line. This to me was the most likely all button for me when I w- if I was going to play the sequence and what I'm looking at, you know, as we get closer to Thursday. But uh, we'll move on, Mike. What's the next one? That's right, it's the penultimate leg of the late pick five at Gulfstream on Thursday, June 30th, race seven. The boys are back. They're going six furlongs on the dirt. 25k open starter allowance. Doesn't matter how many times you've won. And uh, looking at this, Mike, first glance, it smelled like a total pace collapse that could happen in the stretch. Are you looking at a closer on top? Yeah, I am. But there is no real closer, which makes it a little more difficult. Everyone has a higher early time form than late time form rating. When you go and you look at kind of, I, I use Equinedge as well from a pace perspective. And when you dive into the Equinedge numbers, you don't really know who's necessarily closing. Uh, I, I think that the seven is the best horse in the field. We'll also get the setup. Has shown the ability to close before, so I'm going to be pressing through Jeopardy James here. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. I like the fact uh, it's interesting because this horse got claimed out of Tampa, and I rarely like to play horses that go from Tampa up to Gulfstream. But you have a lot of other races at Pimlico, Delmar, Colonial Parks, where this horse has run similar races to what we saw at Tampa. So I'm not going to hold the Tampa thing against the horse. The trainer, 0 for 20 off the claim, not great, but. 23% off the layoff, right? So I'm treating this more of as a layoff horse versus a first off the claim horse, which allows me, I mean, obviously I'm helping make my case by picking what number I care about. But in my mind, when you have a horse for this long, when it's over 60 days, it's not really as first off the claimy as if like, okay, we're running them back in three weeks, right? So I like that, that we have that 23% number of 60 days plus. So I think that the seven is going to show up and run pretty well here. And I think the pace setup really helps the seven. Uh, if it makes you feel better, Mike, if you narrow down uh, Diane Marici when she runs horses back first off the claim protected, she's only 0 for 7. She's 0 for 13 when she runs them back for tax. So you've got that. But if you look at her stats overall for the meet, she's 4 for 24, which is 17%. She's 15 for 24 in the money for yeah. the horses at this meet. She's having a really good meet. So I'm with you. I would look at this and say that outweighs that plus the other angles that you mentioned. They kind of outweigh that 0 for 20. You also don't know was she claiming a bunch of those 6250 mules that we talked about in the opener. Like, what are the what are the scenarios here? So, uh, that's, she, go ahead. The, the horse also has been at at, uh, at Prairie Meadows, and they chose to then send the horse down here to Gulfstream to run it, which I think is 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 telling. Two workouts, two workouts that were 46 seconds or sub 47 seconds for a half mile as well since May. So the horse is working very well, working somewhere else, and then they decided to send it down to Gulfstream for an allowance. I think that all all suits well. That's not Prairie Meadows. That's Palm Meadows. That's Gulfstream. Oh, Palm Meadows. Training. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> a little bit shorter distance from, from Palm Meadows. I liked the six horse here. Um, I thought that the six and the seven, I know there's short prices, five to two, three to one, but I thought that one of these two should be kind of the horse that you lean with. I like that the six has shown that he's got speed, but he doesn't need to have the lead. Um, he can hang off a little bit. That win last time out was in the slop, and it matched the career best buyer of 80, so I'm a little worried that he's going to bounce. Last time he got an 80, he bounced and had a 70. Um, slightly higher competition, but... You know, between the two, the, after listening to your case, I'll be honest, I think now I'm leaning seven over this six. But did you look at the six for a bit as well? Yeah, I, I had the six as, as a that, that next up level. I, I, six kind of likes to burn money. That was my main issue. Like anytime this horse is sub five to one, you don't seem to be getting that same type of price on it and, and, or the same type of effort. And the horse loves to run second and third, which is great, but doesn't really help us for the pick to X bet. So um, I, the six horse is one of those where like, if you're going, if you're going three deep, the six makes a ton of sense as the third most logical horse in here. I'm not sure if I want to do that at five to two. Um, 
I think the two is a little interesting if there isn't a pace collapse. I don't know if you, you looked at rough entry at all, but if you go back to this horse back in 2021, right around now was in the middle of a five race win streak. I call stream park going five and a half, going six, going six and a half. After that, they entered him in a $300,000 stakes, a grade three, 62 K optional, a uh, $100,000 stakes, another 62 K optional and 25 or $65,000 stakes. He faced Weyburn. He faced King Cab a couple times. Willie Boy, like legit horses. That's all since that five race win streak. Now we're getting back to not legit horses. A part of me wonders if we can rekindle some of that magic. Four to one isn't the price I want, but the, I do think that the two is a threat here, especially if he's able to get the lead. There is other speed. He may not be able to, but if he makes the lead and he's ahead at the turn, he could be very tough in this spot. And I'll yes, Angie, because I did like the two as well, that uh, a lot of those races, save for one, he was drawn outside of horses. He's drawn in post two, and if you look back, what was his best effort in that mix from a buyer perspective? He got an 86 going six furlongs on the dirt at Gulfstream against optional claimers, and he was drawn post three. So that was his best effort in that whole span that you're talking about. I'm with you. I think that this horse is returning to a right level starter allowance company after you know facing much, much, much better horses. So uh, if, if he hasn't had his heart broken, which you know he's, he's got six wins lifetime, you would think that returning to this, this level would be pretty good for him. Yeah, I, I think that he found his friends here. Um, getting a couple questions in the chat about the one Joe DiBaggio. I can't make excuses for both of the last two races, and that was my biggest concern with Joe DiBaggio. Um, you have races where you can point back that would win this, that, that are over Gulfstream Park. He loves Gulfstream Park, loves the distance. So I, I, the numbers for the track and the distance are very good. Carlos David, very good trainer. You're getting Alvarado up, a good jockey. The last two races just really concern me. If I was getting 10 to 1, I'd be more interested in Joe DiBaggio. The 92 price without any excuse as a 70 cent on the dollar favorite last time and as a short price of time before that. That's what concerned me about that horse, about Joe DiBaggio. But I, I, like this race, if you don't like the six or the seven quite a bit, I think you can start getting getting a little spready here. And, you know, Dr. Tang, who took two of the worst tournament beats. First off, we should pour one out for Dr. Tang, who on Friday got absolutely screwed. And then on Sunday got absolutely screwed in the last race for two BCBC seats. So, uh, sorry, man, that sucked. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't be live on air to make you feel better about it on Sunday as well. <laughs> If we were live for Sunday, ex expletives would have flown out of my mouth because that one also got me on Sunday. It's it would have been a, a ridiculous live feed if we were on live for some of that. But Spear Gun is usable here at, at a six to one price for Zaya. So, like, this is a spot where, if, if like, in the four old time revival just beat D Joe DiBaggio sitting on the board at eight to one for, for Dana Pitta. So, there are definitely horses in here where you can get creative with if you don't think that the six or the seven is a standout. I'm probably going to be seven in most of my stuff here, and then some seven, two, maybe some three. Um, but it, it, for me, it, it's really going to depend how this thing, where the scratches are in the earlier races and how the overall structure ends up and where, where I can spend money. And speaking of long shots, I know you're not a big fan of Tampa shippers, but uh, Alon Garfield in the chat says big fan of the three. Um, I'm not going to – you want to try and say the three's name? Uh, Sho Shocho? How the hell do you say that? Shocho. Scoochie, Scoochie, Scoochie. We'll call her. We'll call him Scoochie. So uh, yeah. Lon likes Scoochie, the three horse at twelve to one. There are two speed horses, the three and the four, and Vasquez is leaving the four for the three. So if the three gets loose or the four, one of those two, you you could go gate to wire. I don't mind the three here because if if let's let's revert back to our my argument with the two. Let's say the two doesn't make the lead. The three is the horse I think makes the lead. 
If the three makes the lead and the three's ahead at the top of the turn, the three is dangerous and the three is improving. So, yeah, I, I mean, to me, Scooch, not the, or Scoot, Scoochie. 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 Uh, I don't hate the three at 12 to one. And that's the longest price on the board. And you can make a very legitimate case that this horse makes the lead and doesn't stop. And if that happens, you just blows this thing up. So I don't dislike the three at all. Uh, Dr. Tang wanted to blow a bunch of stuff up yesterday. He needed a bottle of wine. Yeah, that was, it's pretty awful, buddy. I'm sorry. Hey, you know what? That's not awful. Well, not as awful. The fifth and final leg of this late pick five Thursday, June 30th, Gulfstream Park. Remember, mandatory payout of this baby in race eight. We're going back to the synthetic, and we're going to go two turns. We've got three-year-olds, nine of them, going to mile on the 16th, including the nine-horse Quantum Theory, who I used to have a par- small piece of when he was first getting going, and he likes to go to the front. But big problem, there's a stretch-out sprinter here, Mike, that's drawn inside of him, and I don't think the nine gets the lead early, and if he doesn't get the lead, I don't think he wins. So where are you going elsewhere? Yeah, we, we talked about this. He really, really don't want to be forwardly placed when there is a speed duel on a synthetic course going two turns. And there is going to be a speed duel. The three, the five, and the nine all want to go. And we talk about it. Two, ta- two horses, you don't necessarily see the duel. When you get three speed horses, generally that heats the pace up quite a bit. Because of that, I'm going to be looking that, for horses that can sit off the pace and be able to make a move here. Um, I like the eight horse here, Star Shopping. That last race I thought was very good. It was on the turf, um, but the horse was able to make up, make up some late ground, be able to run it. The $35,000 optional lever, level gets Barrios back here, actually beat the, the seven to two shot nine horse by a nose in that spot. We have multiple synthetic races that I think point back to the fact that this horse actually does like the surface, including a win over the surface where uh, he broke his maiden. So I, I like the eight star shopping the most. I think the pace is going to set up well for this horse. I kind of like the four to one price, and this might be a win bet if, if we actually get that number. Uh, Jared's favorite jockey, Barrio Sector. Uh, <laughs> I love Hector Barrios, man. He has helped me out in tournaments a lot. He is a great tournament jockey. He gets disrespected, and he should not be disrespected. Uh, speaking of disrespect, Dr. Tang brings up your favorite horse, the four, Casey Chief, Emicio Jaramillo, hopping uh, back aboard again. Uh, boy, this horse loves a synthetic course, got a win and, and a near miss. Um, he likes to be forwardly placed, but he's not a need-the-lead type, it seems. Uh, he's been keeping some good company. Do you like your old friend, the four? I've got him as the third pick in here because I think he makes the most sense for the horse to be able to sit off that pace and get first run. I don't know if he's good enough to be able to win sitting off and getting first run, but I do think that he is able to get a very good shot. So I have him in the next up column. He's my third overall pick here. Um, and this is the right spot. He's back with his friends. I mean, this is where he wants to be running, and he likes the synthetic course. We've seen him run well over the synthetic course as well. So uh, I, I don't see any reason why uh, Casey Chief couldn't be involved late in this. He and the two Panorama truck both stood out to me in this field at first glance because partially they're the only two-time winners in the field, and the two Panorama truck, he's the only one that's won twice on this course. He's got two wins, a second, a third, and five tries on the synthetic. So clearly likes it. He would, They tried the turf and slightly higher competition uh, last two starts, or at least, well, two back at Goldstream Park, I think at Tampa that was pretty comparable. But a little bit of a break. Now we come back to the synthetic. Do you like the two? No. Nope, not a fan. Uh, I thought the two made a little bit of sense if you want to point back to that, but uh, I just, this is one of those horses I think faced pretty weak fields when he was running here, and now you're going to need to have that have to step up. Um, but the numbers all fit. I mean, D'Angelo good off the layoff. I, I like the fact that you're getting uh, um, I, I think that workout right before at, uh, at Palm Meadows with a 36 seconds is very good. The jockey is what concerns me. I mean, this is one of the bleeding trainers, and you're getting a jockey that's 3% on the horse. 
when you have other guys that could ride and would want to ride this horse if you thought it was ready to go. So I think that kind of tips the hand there a little bit on Panorama Truck. I do like the six ghosts in you, who uh, I think a couple of people have mentioned here in the chat as well. Uh, Safi Horse is going to be coming from off the pace. We talked a little bit about how we thought this would be a pretty hot pace up front. If you're willing to draw a line through that turf race, I think you should be. Uh, I got pinched in the first turn. The pace was really slow. He was really far back. Uh, and in the turf course, going a mile at Gulfstream is going to favor horses that are forwardly placed, especially when they go 49 112. It's going to be really hard to close into that. Uh, now you're getting back into the kind of the, the back with your friends, right? This horse was able to win over synthetic, got a 62 buyer breaking its maiden. It's a $250,000 horse by Ghost Sapper. Like this horse should have some talent somewhere in there. And the pace is going to be right to set up for the six ghost in you. Yeah, I've caught my attention. Safi, co-owner of this one as well. Uh, big price tag. So <laughs> last time you raced for a tag, the only other time got the win. Alvarado was in the saddle. And Alvarado, I think, is ready to try and take over as the new king at Gulfstream in the summertime. So uh, it looks like a good mount here. Any other horses? Or are we good with this last leg? Um, that's about it for me. I thought the three was a little interesting. If he's able to rate, I'm not so sure he's going to be able to. Yeah. Though. Yeah. That's the thing. A lot of these horses we'll see what they can do, but, uh, uh, yeah, that's the Thursday late pick five at Gulfstream on, uh, on June 30th. Remember mandatory payout of that plus the super high five and the rainbow pick six. So, uh, we can check those out. Uh, Mike, a couple other things we thought would be fun. Number one, the stable up feature, which if you're not familiar with at the YouTube channel, first of all, that means you're not subscribed. Subscribe to youtube.com slash racing dudes. But Mike does a series uh, with stable up where he, there's a horse that usually is a horse that didn't win. It's a little different today, but he's a horse that nonetheless you need to pay attention to moving forward. So you've got two of them from Sunday at Belmont. Do you want to go with race four first? I actually have three. One of them is a legit stable up. You just don't know yet. So I, I, I'm gaming the system a little bit. These are some three-year-olds that I want to take a look at because I think they're going to be in stakes next out at Saratoga. They were absolutely dominant, getting 93 and 91 buyers respectively. Let's take a look at race number six first here, um, and we'll continue with some of our sire talk. Uh, the sixth race, this is a uh, six-and-a-half furlong maiden special weight. For the boys, three-year-olds and up, and you've got a three-year-old in here, a creative, uh, a creative who's the uh, the eight horse. This is a, a horse by Practical Joke. I've talked so much about Practical Joke on this show. If you don't know Practical Joke, you should by now. Absolutely <laughs> dominant going one turn. Wonderful, wonderful sires. Really, really precocious early. This was just a really impressive race from my perspective. Didn't break that well. Sitting mid-pack here, and then you can just start to see the momentum come with this eight horse. Uh, the six and the seven, both pretty touted horses. Southern flag. Uh, this is fourth race. First off the layout. First is a three-year-old and was very good at Saratoga last year. Not going to be able to get the job done because this eight is just a monster. And once you see a credit start rolling, you can see how good it is. This was a Chad Brown, Clarevich horse with IRAD up. Bet down from uh, three to one on the morning line, down to six to five. And, and this is a four-wide move without even trying. I mean, IRAD hasn't even asked. And he's just gone. Um, again, 91 buyer here. To me, this was the less impressive of the two because um, I, I don't know how much is behind him here. But I do think that the sprint distance, I would expect a seven furlong race, uh, seven furlong stakes race next time out. He looks look good. I mean, and, and once he was also professional, which I like to see. So we're going to talk a little about that with the next horse. Changes leads well down the lane. Uh, I read asked him a couple times. He's able to run out. Uh, this is just a really, really impressive performance by the son of Practical Joke. So you asked who we uh, – you're not sure who was behind him. I'll tell you one horse the, uh, behind him. Southern Flag ends up finishing fifth. 
is the second choice at about seven to two. Uh, Southern Flag was making his first start at age four, but made three starts as a mate at age three, finishing second or third. Uh, Miles D beat him. Uh, he was third to Miles D, but then he was third to Ducali and asking for a Baskin, Mike. The race that just keeps on giving, baby. That was his. That was his last start, and now he faced Accretive. So the fact that there is a huge gap from Accretive to Southern Flag makes me feel better because if he didn't beat Southern Flag by that much, eh, not horses I want to be compared to too much. Yeah, no, he beat the crap out of him. And this is this is one where again we, we I'm, we're harping on sires. We're going to talk a lot about sires this episode because Saratoga's coming up. You're going to see a ton of two year olds, and it, it makes a big difference. Practical joke. I mean, this is another one where 15% first out with three-year-olds, 17% first out overall. We, you've hit on this multiple times, and this is an important one. 18% dirt sprints, 5% dirt routes, 13% turf sprints, 2% turf routes. Oh, God, he's up to 2% now. One turn. Play him at one turn specifically on the dirt. Uh, make sure you are looking for Practical Joke horses at Saratoga or wherever you're playing because Practical Joke really precocious first time out, especially around one turn. Well, a couple other, um, I don't call them knocks. Since we're comparing two very impressive winners, I'll call them knocks here. But uh, a knock on Accretive, number one, he was based at Monmouth Park this whole time uh, training for for uh, his debut. So uh, usually Chad Brown, we've talked about this, doesn't always keep his best stock at Monmouth like that. Um, also, Clarevich Stables campaign practical joke with Chad Brown when he had that great two- and three-year-old season, and they gilded this horse before he debuted after spending a lot of money on him. So to me, that means that they, they like him, but there's some issues with him, and he... Uh, yes, he's, practical joke is producing, and he's doing it great, but this horse might... It, maybe it's the one-turn limitation, too, Mike. There's something with this horse that isn't as nice as the other one we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, we're, I, I'm going to gush about the other one in a second here. Um, I, I use uh, Timeform to stable – or I'm sorry. I use Equibase to stable up my horses. So I have an Equibase stable with all the horses that I'm referencing. I, you can keep notes there. They email you when your horse is coming up, and it's totally free. Yeah, Equibase Virtual Stable, it's free. You can have up to 200 horses um, in, in there. And like Mike said, you can have all sorts of limits and, and lots of good stuff there. So uh, I've been using that for six years. I actually have two of them. I have one that's for all the two-year-olds I'm watching in a given year and then one for all the other horses. Got to win that fantasy league, baby. Hey, listen, it worked, damn it. This, the, the system worked this year. We made it. All right, so uh, was that good for Accretive, the eight horses? Yes, yeah, the, the actual stable map is in the other race. Okay, well, let's move over to that one then. Uh, race four at Belmont Park on Sunday, June 26th. Take it away, Mike. Yeah, this is just a thing of beauty. I mean, we talk about professionalism and how hard it is to win first time out. How hard it is it to win from the rail? The one horse is St. Tappet. This is a, a Tappet horse, a Hobbit of Grace. Yes, that Hobbit of Grace, grade one winning, Breeders' Cup winning horse. It doesn't break that well, rushes up, gets put in beside the six. Now, watch the decision here by the jockey. Okay, I'm going to take him up, move him out, ask a little bit, and then rate the horse. It's his first start. Like that, there are five-year-old horses that can't do that, okay? Like the, to, that was not the great break, a bad position, first time racing in the afternoon. You've got an eight-to-five shot who's sitting in third right now. So it's not like this is a bunch of slouches around here. That's a, a brown horse that ran second last time. You've got another brown horse in third. And then just able to kind of pull away, just goes right past the six. No one can really make up much ground except for uh, Mount Craig, who we will talk about in a second here. This horse is so regally bred. And just the way that 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 St. Tappet is able to run away from this horse is really, really impressive. This feels really impressive and doesn't change leads. There's still some Tappet in this horse. There's still a little bit of goofiness going back and forth here down the stretch. There is more talent in there. 
One turn is not what this horse wants. This horse wants two turns. This horse wants more distance. I'm guessing you're going to see St. Tappet next in the Curlin and then the Travers if that performance goes well. But this is probably your Curlin favorite coming out of this maiden special weight. And just to, to like, just to put the icing on the cake, last uh, two works ago, worked with Wits. Four works ago, worked with uh, Charge It. That's what, unraced, worked with two grade one winners for the Pletcher Barn or grade one place horses for the Pletcher Barn. That's what he thought of them. Well, and not only that, Mike, but Charge It also owned by Summer Wind Equine. So it's the same looking silk, same dumbassery because he's a tapper running in the uh, in the stretch like that. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, Lana Grease, big timer. Watch out for St. Tappet. That horse, like Mike said, it's just everything that Luis Sai has asked this horse to do. You shouldn't see a debuting three-year-old handle it the way he did and pull away like it was nothing. And we were comparing this with a Crevet. This was a better field than what a Crevet faced later in the day because, or earlier in the, yeah, later in the day because you had a horse, Triple Elvis, who was actually the favorite at eight to five over this one. A Chad Brown horse that you mentioned, Mike, was second in his last two starts, but on debut lost to Major General. Second career start was second ahead of Mo Donegal, the Wood Memorial Belmont Stakes winner. Triple Elvis was ahead of him. Uh, almost won his third start at Belmont. Chad Brown gave him time off, and it, I mean, it says here that he tired. St. Tappet just made him look like dog food. It was bad. He just just completely destroyed him here. I just beat him down. And just real quick, so uh, someone you might want to stable up, a horse day midnight, midnight escape from the Todd Pletcher barn. Midnight escape, unraced horse, has been working the last two times with this one. So I would, I would assume midnight escape will debut at Saratoga and be very, very good. So midnight escape from the Pletcher barn is one I want to, I want to talk about. I'm going to pull the race back up because I want to talk about one more horse in this race before we call it a day. Go ahead. Uh, while you, uh, real quick to talk about midnight escape. It is a, a three-year-old unraced son of Spitestown out of an Indian Charlie mare. Good luck capturing that horse on film because he's going to be fast. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we're going to keep an eye on the two-horse this time. Um, so I think, can I control it? I can. Watch the two-horse here. So this is Mount Craig. This is, a, this is a son of Arrogate who wants two turns, clearly wants two turns. It was 18 to 1. The horse breaks okay but doesn't get rushed up here. You can see that Jose Ortiz is kind of controlling this horse. This is a Belmont horse with Jose Ortiz up top. That tips your hand right away. The horse is pretty good. Um, the dam was a stakes winner. She had three wins. Five sisters are all stakes winners. Uh, so sister, a second dam is a multiple sister to a grade one stakes winner. So the family, very, very good on the dam side. Now you can start seeing that irrigate kind of form take in here. Nice move from the back, able to make a nice move around the turn. Again, that five horse that, that is going to end up running second here, beating in the photo, that's the son of Nyquist out of a, a lemon drop kid uh, mare. This is a Chad Brown first time starter as well. So You've got a, a pretty good horse in the five. Obviously, the one and four are very good. And the two makes up good ground around this turn and then just kind of flattens out. I mean, it just essentially create close 10 lengths into a 46-second half. That's pretty tough to do and then kind of sustain it first time out. I love this horse stretching out to two turns. If we can get anything over five to one on this horse at Saratoga stretching out to two turns, I, I think you've got a, a really live horse in Mount Craig. I'm sure that's where we'll see him next. Uh, the, yeah, and you mentioned the Chad Brown horse that beat him by a nose with Flavian Pratt up. I mean, that's a, a debuting son of Nyquist out of a lemon drop kid mare. So, you know, good breeding from that horse as well. I'm with, I think Mount Craig was very eye-catching for if you're looking for the horses to uh, – maybe a horse that you probably get a little bit better price on. Because the first two we talked about, short prices next time out, Mike. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I think St. Tappet is going to 
be your favorite in the curling most likely. I mean, it was that impressive there. Um, just to kind of finish this sire thing and hammer it home um, real quick, this is where you dig up those sire stats. So this is Blood Horse. If you just simply type in uh, freshman sire stats as a Google, um, you can pull this up and you're able to look at first time sires. One of the things we talk about is being in front of the sires that are successful and fading the ones that are struggling early. Heading into Saratoga, heading into Delamar, I think this is great. So you can see Bolt to Oro, 16 starters, seven winners already. Justify, already four for eight. Gervin there, three for seven, including a uh, uh, including uh, De De Devious Dame, who I believe won a stakes race at, I think it was Churchill Downs. Uh, so very good start there. A couple that jumped out at me, Sharp Azteca is six for 17. I would not have expected Sharp Azteca to be wow. six for seven the gate right away so that's one where is a sneaky good standing for just five thousand dollars but already six for 17 is really interesting uh one that you know we're gonna say eh, maybe we should take a hold on number 19 on the list mendelson oh for eight to kick off the career so mendelson struggling as a sire early which is a little bit surprising so uh when you go down this list uh for me uh, bolt oro is one that i've been playing already your boy good magic has had a very very good start uh good magic sitting here fifth on the list this is an earnings yeah. uh the list sorted by with 99 foals you have eight race three of them one first time out so uh good magic has a good start justify a good start uh bolt or a good start sharp azteca very good under the radar start mendelson mm -mm, not so good so far so Again, we're early. Sample size is small, but this is something that I think gives you an edge in a lot of these two-year-old races because if you know which first which first crop sires are successful, this makes a big deal. Sharp Azteca, to, to your point, Mike, is a huge surprise because he was trained by Jorge Navarro, and you would think that drugs wouldn't pass over, but Sharp Azteca was just that talented. He could overcome. He is a son of Freud, and Freud is is uh, despite Freud's actually, if you look at Freud's race record, you'd never look at that and go, "Oh, that's a top stallion in New York." No, Freud's actually a really good stallion in New York. Very so, sharp as yeah. keeping that going. Um, I did see Good Magic got his first winner not that long ago. He's already got two more. That's good to see because uh, uh, what the hell's their name? Stone Street was doing a giveaway for hats. I was trying to get myself a Good Magic hat for that win. So, yeah, great stuff here. And, and yeah, if you're interested. Um, if you're watching the live or the replay on YouTube, Mike put the, uh, the link in the chat there as well. So uh, make sure you go click on that one. Uh, Mike, I, I thought since, you know, Saratoga's coming up, it'd be kind of fun to try and look ahead and say uh, your top three-year-old males as we get into Saratoga because you mentioned here you like this horse that debuted and is probably going to go straight from the curling into – or straight from this debut race, rather, into the curling and then possibly the Traverse. So your, your top three-year-old males, please. Yeah, let's start at number five. You just want to pull up the replay because <laughs> I'm I'm putting Saint Tappet at number five. The, like Hava de Grace was a phenomenal horse. They've had they've actually bred Tappet to Hava de Grace before. We've never seen a horse this precocious early from those two. This they, I mean, and then the professionalism for this effort, absolutely phenomenal. I've got Saint Tappet as the fifth, and this is interesting. Magic gave me this assignment and set no parameters, so I, I think legitimately Saint Tappet could be the fifth most talented horse we have seen right now in this three-year-old crop I, I would expect that this horse can take monster step forward next out and third off the layoff i'm excited to see what what saint tappy can do as a four-year-old yeah like you said mike the, the horse that the, based off of the way that he ran and with the breeding you know just getting started at this six and a half for a long distance wait till you get to see saint tappy going two turns could be a real thing of beauty where do you want to go with number four I'm going to stay in New York, man. I'm going to go to, and I'm actually going to stay in the Chad. Well, no, I'm going to switch to the Chad Brown barn. I'm going to go with early voting number four. Um, it, it, look, I, I got to give a lot of credence to what happened in the Triple Crown in the, in the run up to it. The Wood Memorial turned out to be a very, very good race uh, for the first time in a while, but a very, very good race. 
early voting was uh, run down by Modano in that race, but set a nice pace and it was able to win the Preakness uh, off that race. So I think early voting right now would be number four on my list. And, and honestly, I'm going to leave both Messier and Tabe off. They are both honorable mentions to me because I have no clue what to expect until I know what barn they're going to be in. And, and like, like the, the Haskell is just such a head scratcher because what do you expect from Tabe? I, just, I have no clue. But from a talent perspective, both of them are very, very, very talented. I just don't know what to expect because of the barn issue. Exactly. And as far as Tabe and Messier goes, the Racing Dudes team has kind of taken the uh, unofficial pattern. We're just going to wait until Bob Baffert gets his hands back on these horses. Then we'll see what the, really they've got back under the hood there. Where do you want to go number three? Number three, I'm going to go Modonigal. Uh, God, God beat him in the wood, uh, was able to get the job done in the Belmont. Um, he, he looked great in the Belmont, got a pretty good trip, but, but looked very, very good in it. Improved every single race and, and specifically this year if we're looking for horses we're looking for two turns we're looking for a mile and a quarter that's more up modonigal's alley than than uh than the earlier prep races we talked about him in florida where it just was too short for him even the, you know even the preakness would have probably been a little too short for him so why we skip and we go to the belmont that mile and a half hit modonigal right between the eyes mile and a quarter is still a pretty good distance for him especially when there aren't 20 horse fields and he has to go 14 wide that also helps a little bit there. Surprise you have him number three. I know Aaron Halterman has him ranked number one, so that means your top two are going to be a little bit of a surprise as well. Who's number second? Number second, number two. Number two, back in the Chad Brown bar. We're going Jack Christopher. Uh, he's just been wildly impressive in two starts. This horse should have no issue stretching out, and if that happens, all of a sudden he has to be in this conversation for being number one. Uh, he's done nothing wrong in those two starts, looked absolutely dominant. He's got the speed, but he's been able to rate, and that has been absolutely huge for Jack Christopher. The ability to sit off a horse and go makes him even more dangerous with that tactical speed. So I'm going to sit Jack Christopher there at number two. The fun part is all four or five of these horses we're going to see at Saratoga running against each other if everything pans out. In the Traverse Stakes, yeah, that, what an epic race that could end up being. It's It could be that the Traverse turns into all of the good horses from the Kentucky Derby that we want to see keep racing, and the rest of them that made the 20-horse field, eh, stay home, that's okay. Number one, I know where you're going. I'm excited. Tell me about it. Respect your boy, man. I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna put Epicenter at number one. And, yes, he's lost to some of these horses. But Epicenter, if you go back, he ran too good to lose in the Derby. He ran absolutely too good to lose there. He got one of the worst rides I've ever seen in my life in the Preakness, and it's the reason why I think that he lost the Preakness, or at least it wasn't very, very, very close. He was still making up ground after that horrific ride from Rosario. He went through the gauntlet early in his three-year-old season. When you go through that and you don't have as much time between races, it's a little harder to see that, that consistent improvement. He still took small steps forward every time. Now he gets a break. Now we're going to see what we actually could, what kind of improvement we can actually see later in the year. And, and he doesn't run a bad race. Like there's no race that he ran all year where you're like, well, that that was shitty. No, every single time you can point to something where he like the Derby ran too good to lose. The Preakness, it was the trip. He didn't see the horse coming at fairgrounds. Like, but he is ultra talented, getting better, and I'm interested to see what he can do off the break. The caveat here: if Jack Christopher can handle two turns, which is still an if, not, and some people are assuming it's not. If he can handle two turns. He's really good. <laughs> Boy, and we get the Haskell Stakes as kind of a primer and a preview for the Traverse. It's like the buy-in for a great pay-per-view. You just can't wait to see it. Uh, let us know. What do you think? Tell us in the chat in the comments who do you have as your top five there.
Mike, before we get out of here, one last thing. Uh, thoughts up with my buddy Ruben Fuentes. He had a really bad uh, accident last week at Canterbury Park. One of our followers was there live at the track, had a horse running in the next race and saw it and, and was messaging with me back and forth about it. But um, he had surgery today. I haven't seen an update, but he, uh, what was it? He fractured his C6 in his neck. He fractured his uh, skull and broken collarbones. So uh, it was a pretty bad spill. Horse broke, uh, broke down on the front end, and he pitched forward and went straight down on his head. So uh, thoughts with him. It's a scary game. It's a, it's a risky game. And, Mike, I know that whenever people ask about, about tipping us or, or giving thanks to us as, as you know, a way of saying thanks, uh, we like to direct them to the PDJF for this very reason. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a dangerous game out there for these jockeys who a lot of these smaller tracks don't make the kind of money that you see from the, you know, the, the Saratoga tracks. And so yeah. uh, it's tough and, and there's, you know, there's a limited amount of time and, and it's possible you have injuries like this. And so it's, it's, to me, it's, it's really important that we support the PDJF, which send out checks to disabled jockeys who, uh, who are disabled because of being at the races, who are unable to do other things or work. And it's, it's 100, 100% funded by donations. It's a great cause. So uh, yeah, I, if, if anyone out there is, Looking for a charity to donate to, um, I, I always recommend the P PDJF because it's, it, like I said, it's a 100% raised by donations and, and completely funded. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Ruben's doing well. Hopefully the surgery went well. And uh, yeah, it, it was tough. Can't even imagine what, uh, what I mean, all of the stuff that I break is like below the waist. So, you know, I know what that recovery is like. This yeah. stuff, I don't know. This was always intact. Well, as intact as it's ever been for me. So <laughs> you make your own judgment there. But yeah, it's, I don't know what that recovery is like. I can't imagine it's going to be very fun. No, I, I can't. I, I mean, I also feel for the whole family. I mean, two of his brothers were on, on track. His brother ended up winning the race uh, and ran right back to him. Uh, so it's just a, a tough time for the whole family. And and so then as as Luis, to like, he was out riding in Canterbury the next day. I mean, it, it's got to be tough on everybody. So whole Fentis family, we're thinking about you and uh, hopefully all is well. Well, hopefully all is well with you. Thank you so much for joining Mike and I for the Magic Mike Show 385. If you're going to play Gulfstream, remember it's Thursday, June 30th, end of the month. They have the mandatory payouts of the late pick five, the, the uh, super high five, and the rainbow pick six. So go play that. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Kellerward. He is at some about 18, number one, number eight. You're on the other side, and I still got it correct. Uh, you still nailed it. For overlords at racing underscore dudes. Yeah, that, but I can't, you know, not talk over you when I, five seconds after I say, hey, don't forget to do the read. By the way, don't forget betptc.com. Make sure you go sign up using promo code dudes. Uh, Mike, Churchill Downs is going to be where the action's at this weekend. I'm sorry. It's Stephen Foster weekend. They are back on the turf, supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah, sure they are. Um, that's fine. I've, I've been, I've, like I've been focusing on Churchill Downs more because I wanted to get better at it. One of those things, like there's a handicap, or the best thing you can do is is just handicap that track more. I started to do better this weekend, so excited about that. Hopefully, we can kind of keep that momentum going. Um, but it's it's a nuancy track, and you got to pay attention to that to how the front end is playing there too, because man, it can be a just an absolute conveyor belt if you if you don't realize it soon enough, it can hurt. We have the uh, Breeders' Cup winning urine for the Classic and the Stephen Foster. We have the Breeders' Cup winning urine for the Philly and Mare Sprint and the Princess Rooney and the defending champion of both of those races. CC is supposed to be back at Gulfstream Park on Saturday. So we'll have full previews for you over racingnews.com and youtube.com slash racing dudes. Until Thursday when Mike and I are back with a preview, I'm Magic. And I'm Mike drinking free tequila. Enjoy that tequila, buddy. Enjoy your day, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. This has been a presentation of RacingDudes.com, your destination for all things horse racing and sports betting. Whether you want free winners, expert insider picks, up-to-the-minute trackside weather reports, or podcasts and videos for bettors of all skill levels, 
Never make another wager without visiting the Racing Dudes. 